Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 58, recorded on Friday, 9th September 2011. Hope is not a strategy. We discuss memories of 9-11, the recent MW Love Conference, Social Connections 2, the loss of the Lotus Fair cult shirts, and two really significant departures, Steve Jobs from Apple and Mary Beth Raven from IBM. Join the crew in just a few moments. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. This week in Lotus is proud to be sponsored by Sonos. Sonos allows you to stream all the music on Earth wirelessly in any room. With a big sound from the latest Play 3 player in a compact size and at a price you've never seen before, just $299 per unit. Control it wirelessly with your Android or iOS device. Get free two-day shipping with a special promo code available only for This Week in Lotus. Go to thisweekinlotus.com slash Sonos for more information. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. We're back for episode 68 of the weekly Lotus Roundtable. As ever, I'm joined by Darren Duke. Hello, Darren. Good morning. Very morning, actually. This is almost Pacific time morning. It's like 5.41am in the morning. And yeah. I think it's a first because everybody on this podcast is in the same time zone for once. Well, not the same time zone. Everybody's in the morning. What? All everybody's oh. in the in. <laughs> we just have to say good morning. We don't have to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, as we sometimes do. Ah, okay. Yes, everyone. When you said everyone's in the same time zone, I was like, really? Is it a surprise <laughs> birthday party for me? Oh, now you've mentioned it, so I must ask, how old were you this week, Darren? Oh, I turned the big four zero. And did you have a good birthday? It was the the run up to it was way more stressful than the actual birthing day ish part of it. And and Lisa came up with a good point because I was lamenting on turning forty and says, "Well, you know, it's better than not turning forty because that means you're dead." <laughs> she has a very good point there, doesn't she? Well, congratulations she and happy birthday to you. I hope you had a great day. Thank you. And we are joined uh, on this episode by a couple of folks that have been on many times before. So this is really our catch-up episode. We've had a few weeks away, uh, lots of holidays and user groups and you know, significant birthdays like Darren's going on, ready to, to face the autumn or the fall and, and lots of stuff going on. So it's great to be back with a normal episode of This Week in Lotus, if there is such a thing. So we're joined this week by Sharon Bellamy. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Darren. Hello. Welcome to the podcast once again. Now, things are going on in your world, aren't they, Sharon? So do you want to tell us what's going on and when you're moving and all that kind of thing? They certainly are. In three weeks, four hours, 18 minutes, not that I'm counting, I will be moving jobs to work as applicable as a consultant. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I'm winding down things here at City, handing all my daily doldrum work over and prepping for my new exciting work. Excellent. Wow. So that's going to be a big change. So moving from a customer to a business partner, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to or, or kind of thinking about moving? 
I've actually really missed working for Business Partner because um, before being at the university, I worked for Morpheus, which was an e-business partner, which is where we know each other from, um, for six years. So I really enjoy the whole customer partner relationship. And uh, it's a slightly different, unique relationship you have with IBM when you're a partner compared to a customer. But um, as all IBMers that know me know, I'm a pest and um, they have to listen to me because I won't go away. <laughs> what, what, what is this relationship, quote unquote, you talk about between IBM and business partners? Uh, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe they like me because I'm nice. <laughs> Yeah, slightly fewer new uh, freebies, I should think, when you're a business partner, but there we go. Oh, I don't know. I think you just have to ask the right people. Oh, maybe you do. Maybe you can teach us all a, few, a thing or two. Well, thanks for joining <laughs> us, Sean. Great to have you no on. No problem. And also joined by uh, Lisa Duke. Hello, Lisa. Good morning, England and Darren. <laughs> well, I assume you two are in the same building, so hopefully you've already said hello to each other. Uh, we're actually on different floors in different offices, so we kind of both rolled out of bed and went our separate ways, which is probably best. That way, I can't get in trouble. So, given Darren never mentions his company, Lisa, do you want to do that bit? Who do you work for and what do you do? Yes, we work for Simplified Technology Solutions, or STS. We're um, primarily a Lotus business partner, although we also do a lot of related things like BlackBerry and VMware. And we have also been building out, I would say primarily since Lotusphere, a social software slash social media slash social business, anything but socialism, we're now <laughs> consulting on as well. Um, so that kind of includes the the free stuff outside the firewall, like Twitter and Facebook. And then also um, we're getting a good overview on the various tools that are available inside the firewall, like connections and things that compete with that and um, starting to advise customers on how they can use those solutions. And um, so we've, we've added that this year as well. Excellent. And you also say, do you end podcasts as well, I think? Yes, it's the Get Social Do Business podcast, and you can find it just at getsocialdobusiness.com or on iTunes. And we specifically cover social software. So we started out um, with a lot of the external tools, talked to a lot of small business people, independent consultants about how they use those tools to grow their businesses. And then we started getting into some of the behind the firewall tools like Jive and Yammer and um, have covered a lot of a lot of different topics and talked to a lot of different people. So definitely if that's something that the listeners are interested in, uh, they should check it out. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. It's great to have you back on the panel again. So we're recording this and, and hopefully we'll publish it too on the 9th of September. Um, just a couple of days time, we will have um, the 10 year anniversary of 9-11. Um, guys that are in the US, what, what do you remember of that day? Is there anything particular you remember from, from when it all happened? I, I was actually in a meeting with the FBI when it happened. Wow. And all the uh, pages at, the, at that point, it was pages back in back in the day when I was thirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> back back then, all, all the pages went off, and uh, there was like two or three FBI agents in the room. I don't remember exactly how many, but they all walked out and came back in. And the the they'd said a, a Cessna flew into one of the buildings, and then uh, about an hour later, all the pages went off again, and it was a bit bit surreal to see them come out of a meeting, and uh, basically cock their pistols yeah. and make sure it was rounds chambered before they all took off it was it was it was it was surreal and lisa where were you working at the time 
Well, I thought we ought to first point out that uh, Darren was not being questioned by the FBI. That was just meeting for a client. <laughs> I was actually so, being an expert witness, I think, is what it was. Yeah, I was actually at this time, um, so this is going way, way back, I was a straight-up-for-real employee, and it's been a while since I've um, done that. I was working for a consulting company on the north side of Atlanta in a probably eight-story glass um, building, and I just remember there was a girl from Birmingham who was in the office as well, and she was freaking out because she was convinced they were going to come after us in this, you know, mid-rise building in the suburbs of Atlanta, and I'm like... I think you're okay. I think if, you know, if something were to happen, heaven forbid, in Atlanta, it it would probably be someplace that somebody's heard of. So the whole thing was just very surreal. Even, you know, when they show the clips today, which I'm trying not to watch on the news, but it just, I think we've seen so many movies with so many special effects that it's hard to really, still to this day, wrap your head around the fact that it was real. It's, it's you know... It, we see so many things like that happen all the time on, you know, Independence Day. And then to realize that it, it happened for real, it's it's still hard to believe, I think. Yeah, and real families and real people involved in it too. Yeah, and yeah. Sharon, where were you at the time? Um, I was working for a company called Neon Systems. We were based in Windsor, but our head office was in Sugarland in Texas. And we actually had a phone call from um, the office saying, you must turn the TV on now. So we turned on the TV just in time to see smoke billowing out of Tower One. Um, and then obviously we were all watching it and witnessed the second plane going in. So it was like, we were just like, what the hell? Um, it was it was very strange. Well, I remember it as, as sort of almost one of the first times when everybody went to the internet. You know, I think I think if, if you're in a company that had a TV or whatever, then, yeah, that was your option. But um, certainly I worked for a small business partner in Basingstoke at the time, only sort of 15 of us, and no TVs in the building. And so everybody, you know, jumped on Google or whatever to try and find out the news. And, you know, it seemed like the internet just slowed to an absolute crawl. The BBC website, you know, didn't respond. And it was really hard to get any real concrete details, as I'm sure it was around the world, about it. So I, I kind of remember it as, as, as anything, the kind of the, almost the birth of news on the internet in terms of being the, the way to get get to that information in real time. And, you know, like people said, it was real people. Yeah. It was a real tragedy. And it was, you know, just psychopathic people, right? That's yeah. what these idiots can do. Mm. absolutely right absolutely right so yep. 10 years and we'll remember that i'm sure on sunday when that um when the anniversary comes up so guys um you know particularly the dukes um you guys have been out to user groups to mw lug midwest lug um i guess now a couple of weeks ago and um, what do you kind of take away from from that user group you've been to a few now in the uk and, and obviously you run your own too in, in your area what was special about mw lug well, for me, I would say um, the biggest treat was that they had a full social track and it wasn't, you know, <laughs> by social, they didn't just mean let's demo connections. Yeah. Certainly, we talked about connections. We had some speakers on that topic, but um, they also had somebody come in that um, was from sort of a patient advocacy role, completely 100% outside the IBM world, but talked about um, some software that they're using to track sentiment analysis in the write-in comments um, in patient evaluations for hospitals to track some of that. They had um, a fellow from Shonimals, which I never knew what a Shonimal was, but 
um, you can Google it. And he does like little plush characters. He has a bunch of ninja related characters, which I thought was hilarious. And um, those characters were then turned into a Nintendo DS game. So he talked about how as a small business person, he use uses social to really engage with his customers, build the brand that, you know, they don't necessarily have the money to do big advertising, but they're really active on Facebook and Twitter. So again, 100% unrelated to IBM, but a really interesting perspective. There were um, a couple of other partners in the room that are kind of small business people. So it was interesting to see how he had used social to really engage with his customers. So that was really cool. The other one that was really interesting is uh, Richard Burton from the Fora Group did a presentation, which I'll be honest, from the description, I was kind of like, okay, Jan, this is going to be boring, but it was really fascinating. And it talked about um, the birth of the telegraph and how we in modern times tend to think that, you know, we're dealing with more change than any humans have ever dealt with. And we're dealing with all this innovation and all this technology. But they talked about how really around the time of the launch of the telegraph, there was just as much, if not more, innovation and new technology coming out and um, talked about some of the early, quote-unquote, wired romances between um, internet operators, sometimes hundreds of miles away, that would you know finally meet in person. And so it was really interesting. As a matter of fact, I think he is representing it for the Granite user group kind of mid-October, and we're going to do some sort of a link up with some of the small Lotus user groups in the Southeast and do our meeting virtual so we can see that presentation. And then also the one that um, Roy and Mike McGarrell did on, I think it was XPages, they built an application. So um, it was it was really a neat experience. And then of course, as usual, the presentations are great, but the real I think benefit and the real insights always come from the hallway conversations and the real networking always comes after hours in the bar. So it was a great experience. Darren, how was it for you? I'm still trying to work out how you sexted Morse code over Telegram. (laughs) Was that a dot or a dash? Because that makes it a whole different (laughs) sentence that you just sent me. (laughs) Ooh, er. (laughs) Okay, but what what was was the real question? (laughs) What did you think of the yeah, it was it was real fun. Um, it's you know it's it's large insofar as it's a you know a couple of hundred people, but it's small enough, and and I think the sessions um, are so varied that I think you, like Lisa said, you get a, you get a pretty interesting you know depth of of different type of people, and I was really impressed with a patient records guy. That that was that's an impressive piece of software, and and I think they're using the word sentiment in its correct thing and not trying to interpose it with social. I mean, it's not people Twitter in the hospital saying, you guys killed my granny or anything like that. It's it's more using, uh, God forbid I say this word out loud at the sentence, but it's more using analytical tools to actually come back and, and tell the hospital, these are the places that the people who you treat, treated said that you should... Um, focus on and he said one of the interesting things is that they always used to complain about the valet parking at the hospital and that's the one thing that you really don't care about when going into hospital you you really care about that you come out and get in the car not that you actually get parking when you go into the hospital um and it was really enlightening and and i would definitely 
uh, we'll, we'll put the guy's name in the show notes. It was the first time he'd ever done the presentation. Um, but if you ever get to see the guy again, it was it was nothing short of, of, of amazing and a bit scary. Must say, hospitals must be very different in the US. Valet parking? Goodness me, it's paying display over here. Um, I, I've never been to a hospital or valet park, so I've got to say, but <laughs> usually I'm, in, well, I'm in an ambulance usually, so I get the valet parking that way. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that um, sentiment analysis is just going to be huge over the next you know, four or five years. It's obviously something that you know most forward-thinking businesses are already thinking about, but typically it's done very manually at the moment, and, and you know, building analytic solutions to actually pull that together for from all the very many avenues out there. I mean, th- things like hotel reviews. We work with a hotel group, um, and and yeah, there's they they monitor over a hundred different sites for hotel reviews that can give them feedback in terms of what they need to improve with their service. And actually, having some packages to go out and gather those for them, and 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 you know, work out whether it's a positive or a negative comment based on the word and the sentiment in it. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a very interesting solution for them. Well, and the reason I think this this example is so powerful is because it's not. How do I look to people, which is, I think, what a lot of sentiment is. And, 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 and the me may not be Darren Duke. It might be STS. It could be, uh, you know, IBM. But this was, what, what effects can I make inside of my hospital to make more patients survive, for example? Yeah. Uh, and I think turning into that context that sentiment analysis can be a life-saving difference between someone not making out of the OR or out of the ER or even out of a hospital, is, is, is massive. Yeah, one thing that he said, which I thought was really, it makes sense, but I had never thought about it before, is he was saying that a lot of times in a survey, they have the ability to input those answers and you know do statistics off of, you know, how was the food one through five, but what they don't really have a good way to quantify is, I guess, what we call in the IT world, the unstructured data. So at the bottom where it says, did you have any other comments? People write that in there. And a lot of times the survey companies will capture it, but there's no easy way to report on it, do any sort of statistics. So they said a lot of times that stuff just gets ignored. And that's, you know, it's really kind of shocking when you think, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, the food was great, but the nurse gave me insulin and I'm not diabetic. And then they had to give me something to counteract that. And, you know, it's just, it's, the comments are, of course, always where you get the most real feedback. So it was kind of shocking to me to think that they're not doing anything with that. And it was really cool. When I was watching the guy present, I thought, man, if I had some venture capital money, I would be all over this, especially with all of the, there's a big push in the States towards electronic medical records and you know the government's really pushing people down that route so it was a it was a pretty neat solution and the other thing that was kind of interesting was um some hospitals don't want to put this in but like we already do enough stuff badly we don't actually want to quantify it which is kind of worrying isn't it i mean you you, you can sort of (laughs) You can imagine that happening, uh, you know, with maybe some of the transport companies and that kind of thing here in the UK. You know, the kind of reviews are so bad, they don't really want to capture it. They've got enough to deal with already, but you've got to think that, that they've got to be gathering more of that information if they possibly can. And, of course, the other user group that happened very recently was Oslug. That was last week. Matt Newman and crew over there seem to have done a stellar job of organising that. Um, all the reviews and the blog posts I've seen from that event have been really, really enthusiastic about 
um, both the number of people that were there, the conversations that went on, some of the sessions. Ed Brill's keynote got good um, got good write ups from from all that I've seen. Matt Newman's ki- um, karaoke slightly less so. Uh, if anybody's seen that video, you probably want to watch it a second time. Um, but it, it sounds like a great event and uh, and one that I would certainly like to be uh, at sometime in the future. Sharon, you got any thoughts on Oslug? I would love to go to Oslug. Um, applicable, actually, have an Australian office, so um, hopefully the guys oh, from there hint, will hint, go. Cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have mentioned that while you were negotiating. A bit late now. <laughs> I'll have to make sure that my new boss listens to this podcast. Um, anyway, so yeah, applicable got an Australian office, so that would be a good opportunity for those guys to um, get known in the community because they do a lot of domino work. Um, but I would love to go to Oslug. I think it would be fantastic because they. I'm I'm a big fan of. Uh, ISWs and Adam Brown particularly because he has a very similar role to me so and he managed to steal me an Oslug backpack which should I should be receiving in the post hopefully in the next week or so if you don't wear it upside down all the stuff falls out oh (laughs) dear it doesn't it go in the front if you're Australian like a koala bear or a (laughs) kangaroo (laughs) oh dear a marsupial bag yeah. So I shouldn't say this because I'm pretty sure uh, Matt Newman does listen to this podcast and I haven't talked to Darren about it at all, but I'm seriously thinking about us going in March, mainly because when are we ever going to get a chance to go to Australia and have the business pay for the plane <laughs> ticket? So I'm seriously considering it for next year if we can find the uh, the budget and make up some sort of justification in our heads I would love to go it sounds like they had a great event and for that to be the first one um, didn't Ed Brill say something along the lines of it was the biggest ever for a first time Lotus user group did you guys hear anything along those lines? Yeah I, I think the phrase was for an inaugural user group it was the most well attended is that what he said something like that? Yeah yeah so it was that's impressive. So the full 250 places were filled. In fact, I think they ended up turning people away because um, they were fully booked. Which is just brilliant. You've got a, you know, a round of applause to everybody involved in that. Uh, you know, Karen Hooper and Matt Newman and Craig Davies and many, many others that were involved in organising that. It's great first uh, attempt, guys. I'd love to be there in the future. And of course, and the other thing, that, before we go on from that, the other thing that surprised me is they're going to do it every six months. I, I was kind of, that, that raised my eyebrows, but, you know, I would, I've never organized a big lug and I never will because I don't want to die of a heart attack. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's a bit like writing a book. I think the first time you do it, you're like, yeah, that was great. I'm never doing that again. And yet these guys had already signed up for six months down the road yeah. before we finished the first one. They've already had the planning meeting as well for the next one. I saw Matt tweeting. Are you so, serious? Seriously, wow. yep, him, Barry, Sanders, Karen and a couple of the other guys have sat down and already had another meeting to organise the next one. So they are uber organised. Well done, guys. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a kudos to them for, for not just doing such a splendid job on the first one, but like Sharon said, already having the meetings for, for the second one. I mean, it's, it's just massive and I think it's good timing, the next one, because it's, what, maybe six to seven weeks after Lotus Fair? Yep. So it's 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 almost like Ozphere. 
<laughs> and and I, I think you know one of the plans there is probably to almost kind of take over the role of Lotus Fig comes to you in Australia with, with the next Oddlock. So um, yeah, that that makes sense. I think it's it's it makes sense to kind of bring the user groups and the kind of more marketing side of, of following on Lotus Fig together and do it in the one event. I'm not sure are they planning to definitely do them every six months, or is it just they're moving it from from August to March for next year? Oh, that might be why. Okay, they might be moving it. Aha, uh-huh. now. What of because it wasn't called LCTY in Australia. It was called something like Dingo Does Social or something like that, right? <laughs> Collective intelligence. intelligence. Oh, I was right. I was close. That's even worse. <laughs> a dingo ain't my connections. And talking of connections and six monthly user groups, there's another user group coming up in December. Sharon, do you want to kick us off with this one? Yep, the Social Connections User Group Part 2 will be kicking off uh, December. Cardiff, the 9th, so we miss Thanksgiving. So no excuse, American cousins. Please come and visit (laughs) us. Um, So we're hoping to get um, a lot more diverse speakers this time. We had a really great bunch of people that came last time and the Salvation Army were absolutely fantastic and Stuart did so much of the legwork I tend to do quite a lot of the behind the scenes stuff Stuart is the man when it comes to organising all the things up the front um, but please Americans and other people from around the world if you'd like to speak at our um, user group put an abstract in because we would we would like to have more people from around the globe and is it is it all day? Is it two days? Is it a month long? Is it Christmas? Oh, a month long! No, we are we're, we're an all day from uh, nine a.m. Uh, in the Glamorgan Building at Cardiff University, which has been used in Torchwood and Doctor Who, I believe. It has. It has. So um, there's rumours uh, that there might be some kind of theming occurring, but that that is just a rumour. Yeah, uh, way to know your target what? demographic there. And I found the one fault with Google Docs. It does not know what Glamorgan is. I don't know what a Glamorgan is. <laughs> it's a great team. Yeah, a, a county in Wales. <laughs> so, yeah, the Glamorgan building is a really special, very old um, building. It, it was the um, the offices of, of the local council there. Very sort of um, traditional oak panelling and you know, beautiful paintings and stuff. It will be a really fabulous place to, to have the user group. Um, and it is all day. It's nine till six. Um, we're, we're sorting out local hotels. I think the plan is to, to make it a, a very social evening and, and possibly even the Saturday as well for those that can and want to stay over. So it promises to be a great event. Um, it's it's really around connections. So anybody with interest in in IBM connections or generally in in social um, collaboration, social enterprise software, um, there will be something there that will interest you and hopefully enthuse you for the time ahead. So once again, 9th of December, please do come along. Register on the website socialconnections.info, um, and if you would like to present, please do submit an abstract or tell us you want a sponsor. We'd love to have more sponsors for the event as well. So uh, socialconnections.info. Okay, so the website's already up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's ready to go there, so go take a look. Well, Uh, congratulations, guys. And again, I think you're insane for doing it every six months. But but congratulations. We'll tell you after this one, down. And, of course, while we're talking about events, um, you know, we're in September now. Uh, Thoughts move to Lotusphere, uh, which is, of course, kind of back to mid-January again next year. And that's less than four months away or about four months away. Pretty scary. Um, So thoughts on on Lotusphere? Anybody kind of beginning to look forward to it, thinking about abstracts, that kind of thing? It's really only four months away? Good grief. I think I'm still hungover from the last one. (laughs) (laughs) 
once once it clicked over to September first, I actually just counted, and when I only got to four fingers, I was like, "Holy crap!" It's I, I don't know if it's because as you get older, your your, your days go into warp speed, so you never slow down, or maybe you do more, or whether you just forget more, so it's actually been a long time. But it, it doesn't seem like it's been what would that be? Do the math. Eight months since well, it's been eight, eight seven and a half because it was moved. But it doesn't seem like it's gone. It was seven and a half months. Yeah, it, it's the time has gone by so quickly. It's it's pretty staggering. I, I guess it's it's partly getting older, isn't it? <laughs> the years go by quicker. <laughs> Not that I'm saying anything, Darren. Um, but uh, it's it's. I mean, one of the things is is will it still be called Lotus Sphere? I know there were a lot of people talking about last year in terms of whether the name will change, whether it will become Social Sphere or or something along those lines, or maybe just a, a kind of one word short name like IBM uses for the rest of its conferences, Impact and and those kind of things. So um, it'll be interesting to see. What comes out when when the um, you know the, the website gets launched and when all the news comes out about the event? And of course, um, part of the reason I mentioned Lotosphere is there was a, a post on Planet Lotus from um, Andrew Pollock yesterday talking about the fact that he will no longer be doing the cult shirts. Now, the cult shirts have really been one of the highlights of Lotosphere. Kind of the you know the run up to it has been the announcement of the topic they're going to cover and people sponsoring them, and then you get to Lotosphere on Saturday and suddenly see people wearing them, and it's kind of an exciting part. So, Sharon, are you going to miss the cult shirts? I managed to scab two last year at my first ever. Lotosphere, so I will miss them because I was looking forward to getting more. Um, so I've now got limited editions, last ever version of the cult shirts, and I do actually wear them quite often to work. So um, I'll miss them, yeah. How about you, Darren? Um, I think there's two things here. One is I think it's a victim of the recession, more more than anything, and and is it is it kind of seriously looks like we might be going into a double dip recession? I can only imagine how hard it is to get sponsors for, yeah. for 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 these types of things. And I think the second thing is if you if you read his post, someone needs to find that young IBM lawyer, take him out and smack mm-hmm. him upside the head with a two by four, um, because it seems like that was the conversation that stemmed this to happen. Yeah. Uh, along story. the lines of you're not allowed to use our images in a derogatory term. It's like oh, something along the lines. And if you really think that the better part of, what was it, 2000? 2001, something like yeah. that. So in, in 10 years, how, many, how much free advertising has IBM gotten off this shirt that Andrew and Rocky Oliver and, and, and Henry Newby had all done over the years? And and I think it's a travesty if if it really is the conversation with a lawyer. If that's what did it, IBM, you deserve a whack upside the head for this. Okay. Well, and I can you know if we were talking about RIM, you know the BlackBerry folks, when you sign up as a partner, they make you sign like a two hundred page contract saying that you'll only you know use the logo in certain ways and certain phases of the moon and they're from the get-go very very strict about how they allow their logo and intellectual property to be used but 
IBM has a history of being very, very casual. And, you know, good grief, there's a partner called IBM L. Um, no offense to, offense to our friends in Australia, but the ISW logo looks an awful lot like the IBM logo. Like, they're not really well known for being strict about that kind of stuff and defending it. And so, you know, if you're going to be that way from the beginning and be consistent, that's one thing. But to be okay with so many funky things that are out there and then to pick on this, which is was really community-driven, was intended to be kind of a fun thing. And I think it really started because there was a push for, hey, IBM, we want some Lotus t-shirts and they could never get IBM to do it. So, you know, the community just came together and did it. And, you know, it's, it's a shame to see something like that squashed. But again, I can't blame Andrew for getting to a point where you know it just was more work than it was worth and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about about all the work that goes into some of these events I probably don't even realize how much work went into all the fooling with the t-shirts but I can only imagine trying to coordinate sponsors collect from sponsors pick a design everybody's gonna like get all the logos uploaded the actual shirts I know every year he would like rent a big u-haul truck and load up the shirts and, you know, get them delivered and get them distributed. So I really can't blame him for being like, you know what, it's just not fun anymore. Forget it. So it's a shame, but I can certainly understand it. And and someone may take over responsibility. I just doubt it. I don't think they will after the lawyer comment because I was really shocked as I was reading down. I thought, okay, this, you know, they've worked hard. They're all dropping out. They're all busy. They're all, it's costing money. But for me, the thing that jumped out was the whole you're not allowed to use the logos thing. And I, th- I think that's that's the tough thing is, is that there's one thing using a logo from a commercial perspective. You know, if, if you use a logo in the wrong way and it's for a money-making venture, then I can understand them jumping in. But, but... The, you know, the strength of the Lotus brand is now the community that's around it. And I think, um, you know, if, if they destroy community activity because of legal issues, then I think they're only doing themselves great harm by doing that. And, and as you say, Darren, it's, you know, one relatively young and experienced lawyer maybe in this case. But if if, if IBM was to pursue this in a very zealous way, then, um, you know, people are just going to say, OK, we won't do it. You know, we won't do the T-shirts, we won't do the... Um, you know, the podcast, you won't do the, you know, whatever, you know, blog posts and that kind of thing. And you will see an impact on the community, an impact on the brand as a result. I think it's typical of sort of the love-hate relationship that IBM has with the community. On the one hand, I think they see the strength of the community in advancing the brand, being advocates. They put the champions program in specifically to recognize them. You know, all the blogs and the podcasts really help, especially given the fact that IBM does not do brand advertising or product advertising. I think it's really down to us to take that, you know, high level IBM message and translate that into something that's meaningful for our customers. So they really appreciate us when that stuff comes around and there are individuals inside of IBM that like us personally. But then there's also, you know, sometimes the community is grumpy and they don't see things from IBM's point of view and we're difficult and we're whiny and we want stuff for free. And so I I think it's just, you know, another example of that love-hate relationship between IBM and the community right now. And we hang around for more than 18 months. 
<laughs> yeah. So we have long memories. That's the biggest thing is, you know, they've got people moving through jobs every 18 months, whereas there's a lot of specifically partners, but customers as well that have been dealing with them for 10, 15 years. So a lot of times IBMers come in, they're new to the job, they're all excited. They're like, let's do XYZ. And all of the community is like, yeah, we did that in 1996 and before that in 1992, and you didn't do anything about it then. <laughs> That's part of why we're so jaded is we just remember stuff. It's easy to come in fresh if you don't remember any of the history. And one of the things that MW Lug amused me was I think an IBM ran a session on starting a user group. <laughs> well, yeah, and I will say um, we didn't actually attend that for exactly that reason. My reaction was, what are you going to tell me about running a user group? Um, but to be fair, my understanding from talking to people who did attend was that it was more of a sort of birds of a feather discussion, you know, give us some ideas. What kind of support do you need? So I don't think it was as um, – ridiculous as you and I both first thought when we looked at the agenda. And, so I think that, go ahead. Sorry. And and looking again at, at Andrew's post, um, he, he mentions his feel that, um, his feeling that Lotusphere has changed over the years is less geeky, less technical and more of a sort of business show. Um, what are your guys views on that? Do you think it's changed or, or do you think there's always been the business side to it? And perhaps just, you know, Andrew was more geeky a few years ago, and maybe, maybe felt it was different because of that. <laughs> It's it's a difficult one to answer. Um, I, I think, uh, like like me, it's matured well. Um, <laughs> but 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 beyond that, I, it, has it got less technical? I, I think it has because I think the technologies now are so sophisticated that you really can't do a lot in an hour and a half in a presentation. So I think the days of here, I'm going to do a live demonstration where I install. Uh, domino to a live demonstration where I install connections. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's it's it's square peg round hole. So I think there's a lot more slideware than there are is actually. I wouldn't say useful information because I think there's a lot of useful information slides. But at least from from the live demos and, and maybe even even the questions you get ans- asked and answered in a, in a presentation. Um, I think IBM have made a concerted effort over the past couple of years to add a, a business track. Um, I think it was last year they added specifically one, and then the year before there was kind of a pseudo business track, which they kind of, they originally called business, and then last year I think they called it social. So you know, IBM have kind kind of seen this. Is is it an end of an era? I'm beginning to think it's looking like an end of an era for Lois Fear, and like Stuart said. You know what, what is what? What is the one name we call it if it's not Lotusphere? Um, maybe Drinkosphere. <laughs> Kimonosphere. Yes, Kimonosphere. Karaoke sphere. <laughs> I think that's going always going to be one of the challenges that IBM has. Is is there's a technology shift? You know, we're moving at least partially away from Lotus and Domino to the new generation of connections and, and some of the other stuff that IBM's doing, Lotus Live, for example. But there's also the people shift, isn't there? It is that there's an entire community around Lotus and Domino which is gradually going to perhaps dissipate, we don't know, um, with, with new people coming in. And, and as Darren said, 
you know, connections is, is extremely technical. Lotus Live, on the other hand, is completely untechnical because there's no technology to it. It's just, you know, it's a service, you use it, you migrate people to it, and, and off you go. So you're bound to get new people in. And I think one of the challenges IBM has is how they manage that trans, you know, that, that transition. The name's probably got to change. The people are changing. The the way that, you know, the way the sessions and the tracks are organised is going to have to change. And, and that's going to be tough to do, keeping the traditional people happy whilst also welcoming the, the new comers too well and i think it's also going to lead to maybe a, a, a degradation in the actual attendance numbers because you know how it, it, like you said Stuart, lotus live is is there's nothing really to learn and it turns whoever it is running it in basically into a next button junkie and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i think it's a good thing for customers i think it's a bad thing for technologists but it goes back to you know if, I, if i'm a if i'm a, a bank teller do I really need to go to training to tell someone how to use an ATM? No. Uh, and I think that's where, where the, the radical shift is going to come. Coming from a, a, a fairly new to the Lotus community, but not necessarily from IBM's point of view, because it was my first Lotus fear last year, but I've been using the tech for a while. I was actually disappointed with how untechnical some things were, because there's so many different um, dis- um groups that they have and IBM things that IBM put on in the UK none of which are technical at all um, and I thought that I would be up to my little geeky technical fill with um, useful information and it there was quite a lot of businessy stuff and a lot of glossing over oh well it, this is possible but no this is how you do it so I'd be really disappointed if it gets less technical because that's one of the main reasons why I fight to go and why I kicked up such a fuss and campaigned and sold kidneys to get there last year. Which <laughs> hopefully I hopefully it was only kidney. Year. You need one of them at least. <laughs> yeah. That would explain how, why all English people are very, very white. I'm not that white, am I? <laughs> she'd be more yellow if she'd sold both of them. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah. So please don't make it less technical, IBM, because I will actually cry. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> no. And and Lisa from the sales side, what's your point of view? Well, I would agree with Sharon that I think for the technical folks, it's very very important to have really deep technical content because you know, good grief, if you can't get technical training at Lotusphere, where the heck are you supposed to get it? So I think it's very important to have that. However, having said that. I think IBM is in a position of needing to, you know, because let's face it, if all of us technical people, I think this is one of the big issues in the Lotus community is, you know, 99% of the technology people that use it like the solutions, but you'll hear all this whinging about my boss doesn't get it. And you have to have some of that, you know, foo-foo business stuff at Lotusphere to attract the boss so the boss can see sort of the vision of where all the products are going and how big the community really is. So I think you need something like that to attract the management so that all those technical people out there have some way of communicating what's going on. It's not fair to expect all the you know, domino developers and domino administrators to go back home and explain to management why Lotus is awesome. If they can bring them to Lotusphere and let them see it for themselves, that's good for the technologists as well. So I think if they can do that without alienating the technical people, it's going to be really important. It's also going to be important when you look at them 
from the connection standpoint in trying to compete with the other vendors. Because I know Jive World is coming up. Um, I'm sure all the other vendors have their own um, events. They just had Dreamforce for the Salesforce.com people. So if Lotusphere is seen as something you know, really boring and really technical. And if you really want to hear for real use cases about social business, go to Jive World. Well, you know, that's, again, that's not good for us as as Lotus practitioners either. So I think it's very important for them to have that. But I think, you know, again, keep them in the other building <laughs> and don't do that in lieu of the technical content. I think that was what the problem was. They've mashed way too much of it together. I'm not going to recall the horror that was the OGS. I was really looking forward to the OGS because you guys have told me and lots of other people that I know have told me how great it was. You know, we'll find out lots of cool new stuff. And it was panels, panels and business, which is great if I'm the CTO or the CIO, but I'm not. I'm the person that installs, configures and runs this stuff. So why am I interested in panels? So I think if they get the mix right, then that's great. But they totally lost it on the mix of where things should sit And last year. I have no okay, doubt the OGS won't be so bad this year. I'm sure they have learned their lesson. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with Lisa here as a shocker. Oh, wow. Imagine that. <laughs> um, see, I, I think IBM thinking they can bring in business types and educate them and sell to them at Lordosphere is a rather idiotic idea because who is going to pay $5,000 or $10,000, and that's including the flight in the hotel, to go there to find out what the software that I've bought from you and I probably paid top dollar for can, should, and will do. IBM should be doing that as part of the sales cycle early on, except they managed to fire all of, most of their sales reps, so they can't do it anymore. Well, so or they run them off and they've quit. On. Well, yeah, you can't really bolt that on and then say, oh, well, we'll sell to you if you just give me $5,000 and we'll, we'll, help, we'll help sell that in your organization. I think that's See, though, Darren, I disagree because people are going to other conferences to hear about this stuff. People are going to social connections with Stuart and Sharon Bellamy to figure out, okay, I've got connections. How do I use it? What's it for? What's going on with the social stuff? If they're willing to go to London to hear from that group, then it's not – outrageous to go to Orlando to, to hear that. I think, again, it has to be a balance of it can't just be salesy. I think it's fine to say, here's what else we have to offer. Here's the future of the products that you have. But the meat of the sessions, even on the business track, need to be a little bit more tactical. There should be sessions on, and maybe, Stuart, you and I ought to work on this, but there should be a session, or actually Michael Sampson ought to do it. There should be a session on user adoption that, okay, you've bought connections, you've got the CEO blogging, and you've got your people that are into social using it. How do you, you know, break through and get more adoption and, and get to that critical mass within the organization? There, there needs to be more sort of tactical even from the business side, now that you've got it, what do you do with it? And those conversations around, you know, how are people using that? That's what I find is the most fascinating. People do go to those kind of conferences for that sort of stuff. South by Southwest was, you know, very non-technical and it was more about the concepts. Like I said, Jive World, again, it's a lot of case studies. They bring customers up on stage. So business people will go to a conference to learn about new technology and how to use the technology they have. It's just the whole thing can't be a sales venue. But I think if you said to IBM, 
you cannot sell at Lotosphere, then they'd be like, fine, we'll just cancel it. That's what it's for in their minds. And I think it always has been. It's always come out of the marketing budget, you know, so it's always been effectively a sales conference. It's just that the route to sales has changed over the years. You know, I think when when they could sell uh, tickets to Lotosphere many times over, then actually, you know, the, the enthusiasm was there and, and technical people could go back and tell their bosses, we need this stuff and the bosses would buy it. I think now that the demand has gone down a little bit, they're probably trying to say, well, if we're going to have four or 5,000 people at Lotosphere, then let's make it four or 5,000 influencers that can actually sell more license, you know, through their businesses rather than it being solely technical people they're going to get their fix of, of technology for the year. So it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask for IBM to, to do both. And and I think they're trying to do it. I think the Leadership Alliance Conference is clearly doing a little bit of that as well. So that's the, the conference that goes on uh, on an in, invitation only basis in October. Um, I think some of the key customers go to that. So again, that takes maybe some of those business people away from Lotosphere by going to that event. Uh, we'll have to see. Anyway, I'm sure we'll be covering Lotosphere a lot in the next four months. Um, uh, I know we, we're both Darren and I are keen to get Kathy Manostein and many others on here to talk about Lotosphere as plans because more real over time and um darren when, when we we're discussing this podcast earlier on um we mentioned that neither of us has really covered steve jobs leaving apple which happened maybe a month ago now um and, and that's that's going to have a major impact it'll be interesting to see what your view is in terms of whether you think that's going to majorly impact apple over the next 12 to maybe 24 months it's been a whole month and the world did not end <laughs> and apple is still it's... selling lots of stuff yeah, and and I think you know him. He, I don't think he's really left. I think he's just said, "I'm going to go do what I like." Yeah, right. So I think he's gotten out of the hall, chairman of a board, that that kind of stuff. And I think he's still going to have his toe in the operation, which I think is good for Apple because everyone I've ever talked to from 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 Apple say, you know, ev- literally every design decision goes through Steve Jobs at some point, and that point is usually right at the end when he changes it all. Um, so I think the good for the next maybe three to five years, because hopefully all of them, all of that stuff is, is in that, that, that development life cycle, but it's going to be interesting what happens in, in five years when his influence in, in, in the products that are starting to be designed in five years kind of maybe, maybe reduces a bit. So I, I think the, the end of a world scenario that everyone was expecting, I think, is, is at least going to be postponed for for a, a number of years, and by that time, you know one would expect that the number of years Steve Jobs has been at Apple in his two tours of duty there, hopefully something he has done is ingrained into the design staff, and it will continue that way. And I mean, I don't know much about Tim Cook, the new CEO, but certainly looking at the other VPs that um, Steve has brought on over the last five years ago. I mean, you know, Scott, uh, Scott Forstall, who looks after iOS and, um, you know, Johnny I from a design perspective. I mean, they seem very much in the mantle of Steve. So I'm sure that, you know, this isn't suddenly a shock announcement and Apple's rattling around trying to work out what they do to mitigate Steve, you know, moving on to a different role. I'm, I'm sure they've been planning for this for many years and, and, and therefore, they've got the right people in to, to actually take on those roles. Although I, I tend to agree with you, Dan. It's going to be interesting to see what the strategy is three or four years out when suddenly the strategy is being made without Steve being at the helm. Stuart, you did it. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, Stuart did a really interesting blog post um, about well, that would be a first. So, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think you mostly copied it from somebody else's post. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> but it was about, um, you know, what to look for as signs that Apple is going downhill. And it was pretty much IBM's marketing strategy. So I thought it was very, very interesting. They were like, you know, expect them to push the brand instead of the products. And you're like, oh, hmm, interesting. That's exactly what IBM does. So, uh, you know, I don't know what it all means, but I just thought it was an interesting post. So sorry, Darren, go ahead. It's it's going to be interesting to see if they stick with the nomenclature of iPhone and iPhone 2, 3, 4, 5, or, or whether they hit, a, let's say, a 5 or a 7, where people don't upgrade to the iPhone 8 or 8.5 or 8.5.2, uh, because there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no concept of, oh, I'm now on a quote-unquote legacy device. So it's it's going to be just once, once the market is saturated with reasonably new iPhones, how long them iPhones continue to stay in Mac. It's interesting because I kind of think they got to that point with the iPod in that you still see an awful lot of old iPods around, you know, on tubes and buses and things. Um, and, and and it was, you know, they, they weren't going to sell too many, more IBM, um, too many more iPod classics, you know, just with a larger hard disk or a better screen. And therefore they needed to jump to the iPod Touch. And I think there are, there will be times when they have to make that jump to a new a new line, a new technology to, to actually sustain that. I think you're absolutely right. People get tired with a, a particular line or a particular... Um, you know, strategy from a company and then you do need to make the change and, and maybe that's where we are with Notes actually you know we talk about a lot about Notes 9 and what happens then new name new brand you know new product you know it, are we reaching that point with, with the with the Lotus product set as well from a non-Apple fan person point of view <laughs> I see it as a bit of a comparison to when Bill Gates stepped down from running Microsoft you know, he, I think Steve Jobs is always going to be in the background until his health says that he can't be. Um, but he's one man. He's not the company. He's just the one man that was at the helm of the company. So, you know, it's obvious that Apple has not shriveled up and died without him. So, you know, I think it will just carry on unless something monumentally disastrous happens, like they decide to switch from iOS to Windows Phone or something. But that's never going to happen, is it? But again, there's, there's parallels with, with IBM. You know, IBM's whole culture is the individual is kind of not important. You know, in, in some ways, it's all about the brand, the company, the you know the hundred year history of IBM. You know, people will, will rise up and take big jobs and they'll retire, and new people will come on, and and that's what corporate life's all about, of course. But but my view is actually the individuals that have the headline names that are out there that are you know building relationships, whether it's through the media or whether it's directly with people outside the company, are incredibly important. And IBM seems to kind of shy away from that a little bit as part of their culture other businesses are much more willing to put people in those kind of roles and and those headline names uh, that, that go out to the communities and of course, I guess that brings us on to uh, one of the other pieces of news um, that, that's been around the Lotus community. And we've kind of almost deliberately not covered it over the last few weeks just to let it sink in a little bit. And that's that Mary Beth Raven is leaving IBM. Or in fact, has already left, I think. I've seen pictures of her new badge for her new company where she's working. So, um, Darren, do you want to kick us off? What's, what's your feeling a few weeks on after Mary Beth's news? Um, do you think it's going to have a material difference on, on Lotus' business going forward? I, I don't. Mainly because I, I've gotten the feeling the, the the last few months, probably the last nine months, maybe since actually Lotusphere, that she isn't or wasn't actually involved in maybe 
the the area that we all associated with, which was that the Hanover design team and getting the user interface done. So I think, you know, I think the impact of her leaving is probably reduced be, because of that. And I think that's a good thing for the Lotus design team because they've, they've continued blogging on that Lotus design blog. And I think it's probably a, a good move for, for, for Mary Beth. Um, you know, she's, she's going with people who she knows, likes and loves, and it's always easier to, to work in that environment. Um, I think it was a shock the you know just to kind of tweet out of the blue that hey you've resigned but but that seems to be the way maybe I, ibm do it because it, we also saw that with kind of the tim clark and, and the darren adams resignation so i think when they resign there's probably some deal that you're not allowed to tell anyone until x or something like that uh, she, she'll, she'll be missed she was very vocal for our community and i think as matt newman said uh, on the onslaught podcast the other day she was always the door into Lotus or IBM that would help you find the person who you really needed to talk to about your problem. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. You know, UI designers come and go, but somebody that understands and cares about the community and, um, you know, is willing to come and talk to us and help us get connected, those people are few and far between. They're they're very rare and they're great gems. And so... <laughs> you know, will somebody continue to do UI design for IBM? Sure. Is anybody else going to wear yellow shoes to Lotusphere? Huh. <laughs> Those yellow shoes are going to be difficult to fill. So I think, you know, the community is is losing someone to a greater degree than IBM is. Although I will say she's not completely, you know, <laughs> Monty Python, she's not dead yet. <laughs> um, she's still been very involved with um, some of the Nerd Girls group. She actually was on the Oslug Nerd Girl panel via remote. So, I, you know, I think she'll, she's not going to unfollow all of us just yet. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with what you've said. You know, there are other people in the design team that can take on that mantle. There are other people within some of the interfacing teams and program management teams who can take on some of the work she's done. I think what Mary Beth understood perhaps better than, than almost anybody else in IBM is she understood the needs of the community in terms of some of the communication that went on. You know, I remember Darren at UK Lug where we asked questions about the rebranding uh, in the OGS or at the end of the OGS. And it was Mary Beth Raven who stood up and in, in the space of a couple of sentences made sense of what others had tried very hard to explain that failed to get across because of the terms they used. Mary Beth Raven knew the things to say, to placate and to, to get people to understand. And I think... She has that sense of the needs of the external and the needs of the internal and, and how to bridge those. And I think there are others that understand that. Joyce Davis, for example, really understands it. Ed understands it perhaps more from a sales perspective than than perhaps the relationship that, that Mary Beth had. But th there are others. But th th maybe the challenge is there just aren't enough of them. So, do, I mean, d does Mary Beth le leaving put more pressure on folks like Ed and Joyce? Do we need others to step up and fill some of those shoes going forward? I think so. And, you know, you guys will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my impression is that Joyce has certainly been around IBM for a long time, but has not really been involved with the community for that long. And the community loves her because, again, she gets it. She cares. She's very genuine. 
um, you know, there's, she's not the, the magic community fairy. She can't grant all of our wishes, but you know, she gets it and she cares and she's made an effort to be available and to be visible. She's not blogging, but we all know who she is. So that's proof that people can step up. The community will accept new people, but I think it takes someone special to do that. You can't, you know, if you think about it, Mary Beth's role for the most part, you know, she was not channels manager for Eastern IMT, whatever, whatever. Her role was really design. And yes, she had some business interacting with the outside world to get feedback on um, UI ideas and, you know, feature requests and things like that. But I don't think her role was really primarily external. It's just she had the personality for it. She was interesting. She was engaging. You can't necessarily... It's it's like speaking. Not everybody who knows a subject is going to be interesting to listen to about that subject. So, you know, not everybody who's in a role where, okay, you're in charge of being social and external, go do it. Not everybody is just going to automatically be interesting and engaging and genuine and, and get it. It takes a special kind of person to be enough of an IBMer to get along inside that company and, you know, to see the company's perspective, but to also be able to see things from our point of view, that's got to be hard to hold those two realities in your head and not make people really mad. So, it, you know, it's, it's tough. And what concerns me is not that certain individuals leave, because that's always going to happen. It's that it seems to be, you know, lose 10 gain one in terms of external visibility. You know, Joyce is the only one that I can think of in the last, say, four or five years that has come from kind of an unknown to a loved member of the community. There's been a lot more moving on than there have been stepping up and, you know, being the right person for the job and and getting our perspective enough to be relatable. I think that's right because Mary Beth's left, but do we know who her successor is? Well, but she was in an internal role. So this is what kind of gets confusing is a couple of months ago, she, she moved to an internal project. She hasn't been on an external facing product project for, for quite a while. So does it matter? <laughs> it shouldn't do. Um, I spent quite a lot of time in the user experience lab at Lotesville last year and spent a lot of time with Amy Travis, who's taken over as being one of the bloggers. And she, if we could get her interested in the community, she would be a massive asset, I think. She's fun. She gets what we're trying to do. She wants to help us. Um, But, you know, she's just, yet again, one person in IBM. And there was was a blog posting yesterday on the Notes Design blog, and that was posted by... Julie Brown, quote-unquote, information developer, and Susan McKinstry, quote-unquote, product designer. I've spoken to Susan before. She's she's a nice person as well, but we don't really hear much from them outside of um, the bubble, do we? They're not they're not people that are public publicly known. And Sharon, you and I um, were at IBM yesterday, weren't we, talking um, to a whole bunch of um, developers and support people and um, uh, product people and and you know, we were asked to give our view from the outside in terms of 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 
kind of how we see IBM, how we see the products compared to others, and and also our advice to them, and 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 a lot of what we're talking about is how they get known externally. You know, to to blog, to make relationships with people outside, how it will help them do their job better, understanding you know customers' views and partners' views, and you know community views on what they're trying to achieve. And and I I do feel sometimes like because IBM is such a big company, all their focus is internal. So you know, they have their own internal connection site, they have their own white uh, you know white page and blue pages or whatever and so the focus is on how they collaborate internally and, and that's absolutely a good way ahead for them but in the lotus brand i think we expect more of them we expect them to look outside we expect them to talk outside we expect them to present outside and and it's how do you get more of those people to be willing to do that versus to take the internal view and that's that's quite a challenge for ibm to have but if they truly believe in living the dream of you know get social do business it's something they're going to have to do yeah and Stuart, i i see that even reflected in the products, if you compare connections to Jive, Jive is all about, all right, we're going to take an external suggestion, we're going to bring it internal, we're going to progress it, then we're going to post it out external. It's all about bouncing in and out of the firewall. And I know you have raised this to IBM as well that, you know, hey, this is kind of a weakness of connections. And I think it goes back to it never crossed their mind that anybody would want to you know, talk to us. They, they built connections for their own needs. You know, why? And I'm being overly harsh. Certainly there are exceptions. There are individuals that are just fantastic and have made an effort to reach out. But by and large, and this is, I think, the risk of internal only social software is once you achieve the dream of, you know, we're leveraging our resources and we're communicating better internally, you risk getting into groupthink. If we're all reading the same stuff and we're all talking with each other, then we reinforce our reality. And, you know, while certainly it's important for IBM to represent IBM and it's important for them to focus on their issues, their needs, their primary customers, which are really those you know, Fortune X customers, you know, I get that that's their day job, but it's to me worth it as a hobby to step outside, see what's going on in mid-market, see what's going on in small business, see what's going on on, you know, the newer innovative products and platforms, talk to the partners, talk to the customers. That feedback is really, really vital and is going to help them be competitive with some of the smaller companies that are out there that, you know, can move faster and be more agile. They need that. Even if, you know, 80-20 rule, if 80% of their job is talking to themselves and the enterprise customers and 20% is dealing with the rest of the world, that 20% is really where the innovation happens. And that's, I think, part of the frustration is as the community we're always pushing them that, you know, this is the next big thing. We need this product on this platform. And while I know sometimes we annoy them, <laughs> I think it's good for them because what's happening in small business, mid-sized business, partners, that's the future of what's coming to the enterprise. It just takes them longer to get there. So I think it's to their advantage to listen to what we have to say, you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt, but to know that, you know, a lot of what we're saying is kind of the future of what the enterprise customers are going to be saying in a year or two. That's kind of the impression that we got talking to all the infrastructure developers and, and the guys at, in Hursley yesterday. Some of them were just shocked that, um, that there is this, this view of IBM from the outside because they all talk happily. I mean, some of them don't even know other IBMers, um, 
you know, they, they, they don't even know, they, one of them didn't even know somebody that was sat in the same room as them. So, and they work in the same building. So what chance have we got of finding the right people <laughs> if they don't even talk to each other? So it was a real eye opener for them. And, um, and some of them did say that they were going to make the effort to look on to, to sign up to Twitter, even if they only lurked to listen to what the community was saying. Um, and some of them would join up to the developer works and to the greenhouse just to get more of an idea of what's going on. And I think we made some really good connections yesterday. And I'm, I'm hoping that going forward that we can make things better. And it was interesting, as of you know, maybe 40 or 50 people that we had in the room, um, but there were probably five uh, that were on Twitter. You know, And, and I, I think if we were to get 50 community people in the room, there would be a much greater proportion of people who would be on Twitter and, and Facebook and so on. So the, the, I, I think it's a different world and we just need to somehow get more hooks into that world to try and help them change. I, th- I think that's, that's part of what we need to do as a community. So that's brought us to the end of our topics for this week. I'm sure we'll cover many of these things again over the next few weeks, but we're going to move on to our tips. Darren, kick us off. Um, yes, I've just come up with one. So uh, if anyone's been <laughs> following my Twitter stream for the past couple of days, you've probably noticed I've been lamenting something along the lines of, uh, MIB files. And for those that don't know, MIB is Management Information Base, and it's a file format used by SNMP, Simple Network Management Protocol. I'm going for the record of acronyms <laughs> in one tip. Yeah, I just went to my happy place. <laughs> and, and if you have no idea what I'm, do, what I'm talking about, like Lisa, then fast forward to the next tip. Uh, but basically, SNMP is, is a difficult thing to get your head around. It looks like the Dewey Decimal System but someone's put in a tombola hat and just spewed out the numbers so you have no idea what they mean. But there's a, a, a free product out there called MIB Browser that I found that actually allows you to lo- load MIB files in and make sense of them so you can get the attribute in my world that was, I need to find out if the radar is failing. Um, I can now get reporting on radar is failing without actually needing to do anything. Uh, and that's a very, very good product. It makes sense of MIBs, which is a very, very hard thing to do. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, completely ignore it. Great for you, too. <laughs> I thought that's what users were for. When the RAID array fails, they call and complain, and you know something's wrong. Well, well yes, but then I hope that the backup doesn't fail as well. So you, <laughs> uh, despite Barack Obama's protestations otherwise, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> I think we have our podcast title. Um, and Sh- Sharon, what's your tip? Uh, well, after our visit to Hursley yesterday, um, Tim Clark's successor, who's uh, Andy Walters, decided to give us a quick uh, run through the Innovation Centre. Now, I've used an Innovation Centre once in my business partner and customer lifetime, and I keep forgetting that they exist. So there's, I can't remember how many there are of them worldwide, but there's two in the UK, and they're used they're used via business partners or ISVs for testing software, hardware, basically anything you like. So if you need to test something, speak to your ISV or business partner if you're a customer or you business partners and customers, speak to IBM and book yourself in. Um, they've got more kit than you could possibly ever know what to do with. Darren, you'd have died and gone to heaven if you'd have seen that <laughs> room yesterday. I was getting really excited. Stuart kept looking at me in a calm down Sharon kind of way um, is this a, the racks and racks of IBM hardware all of them yeah. like the entire alphabet X, yes. P, N, yes. uh, yeah we've yes. got one in Atlanta lots of there's flashing lights is oh, it in Atlanta I thought it was in Raleigh no there's one here as well oh well, yeah really the university right it was interesting yeah, I thought that was the tech oh okay 
the, whatever the, the ibm software guy walked along and said yeah here's a black box here's another black box here's, here's a gray box and that was pretty much the limit he could go to whereas the hardware guy was geeking out seriously wasn't he oh Shout. yeah yeah it was it was absolutely amazing so you could test anything on multiple different types of hardware multiple different types of software they will allow you if you sell them your soul to put beta software on there but it is more difficult for them to do but you know if you need to test anything they're the guys to speak to and i'm going to abuse them massively when i move jobs <laughs> and the links not, in the show notes and, yeah it's and not quite as sorry go ahead i was going to say and try not to walk out with an i-series because they had loads of i-series machines they won't miss getting, one well that's what i thought you know getting in that room to nick one and carry it out without looking suspicious, I think, um, might have been quite difficult. I'll help you out with it, Sharon. What we can do is uh, take a pizza box, spray paint, spray paint it brown, cut some holes in it, put some Christmas tree lights inside. And then when they're not looking, we'll swap that out for one of the system eyes in the rack. Fabulous. <laughs> okay, we'll do that next time I see you. <laughs> Lisa, keep us moving on. What's your tip? Uh, well, this is now you're not allowed to do this until you've gone back and listened to all the old episodes of This Week in Lotus. But if you're all caught up and we're just not putting out enough episodes for you, um, there are some other Lotus related podcasts that you might be interested in. And again, all of these you should be able to Google or find them on iTunes. But um, obviously, Bruce is taking notes that Bruce and Julian Robichaud do. Um, the 1352 report, which there hasn't been one in a while, but there's tons of back episodes. And what I find with a lot of these podcast is 90-95% of it is still, you know, relevant. It's it's not breaking news anymore, but it's still interesting. Um, Dog Ear Nation is another one. I know you've had some of the Andy Piper, some of the folks from that crew on. Um, Social Geeks that Chris Miller, Mr. I Do Notes does that's more related to sort of new products and things that are coming out. And then, of course, I'll get in a plug for my own podcast, Get Social, Do Business. So, again, you need to finish listening to all of this weekend lotuses first. But if you've done that and you've got a long drive or a flight to Australia coming up, then you can definitely load up your eyes shiny with all of those other podcasts. And that should keep you entertained in between episodes. Great. Thank you very much, Lisa. Yeah, I recommend all of those. And we'll have the links in the show notes to those as well. And I'm going to finish off with a app. I'm sure we've mentioned it, but I'm not sure it's ever been a tip on this podcast, which is the Lotus Live Meetings app um, for iOS. It's just had a recent update. It's even better than it was before. There's an iPad version as well. Um, however, I'm going to use this as a slight nudge as well uh, for IBM. Uh, I was on the IBM Connections mobile call yesterday where they uh, told a lot of people about the uh, new mobile clients. Unfortunately, I couldn't connect from the Lotus Live Meetings app because it doesn't support the old same time Unite meetings that IBM still uses users in a lot of cases so you can tell the difference because instead of it having the six digit with a hyphen in the middle um, meeting id that lotus live uses it's got a seven digit one and so we either need the app to support that ibm or we need you to stop using the old meeting codes because it's such a great app it really is a nice way of staying in touch with meetings even when you're on the road or traveling on the train or whatever so um so please do uh, check that out we'll have a link in the show notes to that as well so um that's it for this episode for episode 68 we'll quickly go around the table and just ask how do people find you so darren how do people get hold of you blog.darrenduke.net for seldomly posted technical information these days and darren duke all one word on twitter for my 140 character oid there's another acronym (laughs) mivrads and also lisa how do people find you 
Um, well, obviously the podcast is getsocialdobusiness.com and the best way to find me for all other things is about.me slash Lisa Duke. Oh, and one other thing that I should mention is if you are listening um, and you're in Chattanooga by any chance, on the 16th of September, we're having a lunch and learn with Michael Lee, um, who does domino troubleshooting as part of the IBM support team. So simplified-tech.com slash events for that and also for some webinar type things that we're doing in October that would be open to anybody from around the world. Excellent. Thank you, Lisa. And thanks for joining us today. Uh, very early in the morning, your time. So thank you for that. And uh, Sharon, how do people find you? Uh, you can find me. I've just changed my Twitter ID, so I no longer have the strange one anymore. Unfortunately, I can't use my name because somebody else has stolen it. Um, so um, you can find me on Twitter now as at Social Shazza. And my blog is socialshazza.com. And I also have an about me page, which is about me slash Sharon Bellamy. Excellent. And Shazza's got two Zs or Zs. Zs in it, yes. Zs, Zs, wherever part of the world you're from. Excellent. And when do you start Applicable? I start on the 3rd of October. And... Uh, the week after I start, I'm going to the Lotus uh, Conference, the Alliance Conference that all the champions have been invited for. So it'll be nice to catch up with fellow champions and hopefully meet some new people that I've never met before. So I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent. And that's been renamed. Yes, it's not Lola anymore now. It's Leadership Alliance, isn't it? Just as I've got used to calling it something, they've changed the bloody name. <laughs> what a shocker for the IBM. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought it? And isn't, look- isn't, Lala, isn't Lala one of the Teletubbies? He is, yeah. He's oh, the dear. yellow one, isn't he? Oh, God, no. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon, looking at that timer on your on your bar just in front of you on your Windows machine, how many hours and days? I've got three weeks, three hours and four minutes. <laughs> Not that I'm counting. Count them down. Okay, thanks for joining us today, Sharon. I no am, Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. It's um, I'm Stuart McIntyre. You can find me at Stuart McIntyre on Twitter or via the uh, blog at blog.collaborationmatters.com. So thanks to all our guests for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week um, with uh, some new guests, some different topics, and hopefully you'll enjoy that one too. So until then, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. This week in Lotus is proud to be sponsored by Sonos. Sonos allows you to stream all the music on earth wirelessly in any room. With a big sound from the latest Play 3 player in a compact size and at a price you've never seen before, just $299 per unit. Control it wirelessly with your Android or iOS device. Get free two-day shipping with a special promo code available only for This Week in Lotus. Go to thisweekinlotus.com slash Sonos for more information. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. I am Stuart McIntyre and we are back for episode 68 of the weekly Lotus podcast. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host Darren Duke. Hello, Darren. Hello, Stuart McIntyre. And who's typing? (laughs) <laughs> <It's me. laughs> well hello welcome to- again. <laughs> <laughs> let me see if it, the mute button's on the where is it side of your head <laughs> put, your, put your finger in your right ear okay I got it <sighs> IBM has come back all is forgiven <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit harsh <laughs> <laughs> In fact, let's drop and recall. <laughs> Darren, <laughs> I'll drop and I'll call you back in. Hang on a second. 
Hello. Please, there's a message after the tone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like to listen to the music because it reminds me of a rave, and then I realise I've yeah. got the kit hit out. <laughs> I think that as well. It's quite. It's very um, late 80s, early 90s, isn't it? John Michael Jarre. <laughs> yeah. Stuart, so, speak to see if you sound yeah. better. Do I sound any better? Oh, you sound so much better. What did you do? Nothing. I just dropped the call and told you back in again. <laughs> the joys of Skype. There's joy. <laughs> Good point. I think it's worth more than what we're paying for it, but just barely. So Glamorgan has nothing to do with King Arthur, huh? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> crickets, crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know whether... that you're thinking of. No, no, I was talking about Morgan, the uh, sort of witchy, what was she, uh, Arthur's sister or whatever? I love having you on this show, Lisa, because things always <laughs> go in a completely different direction to they do when everybody else is on. <laughs> <laughs> on the first day of Lotus, my true love gave to me a yellow backpack. <laughs> <laughs> You need to finish that now. You need to do a full... How many days is it? Four days, isn't it? Is it four days? The 12 oh, days of Christmas. Yeah. No, that, that's oh, four days at Lotus Fair. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be quite funny. Yeah. Oh, you've got to do it, Lisa. That would be great. <laughs> I think uh, Ben Chapman is in charge of uh, Lotus-related songs. <laughs> also yeah, Mary should... and um, Matt Newman. Matt, yeah. yeah. I think Ben would make up a four days of Lotus Fair song. <laughs> I'll give him right on it. <laughs> I, I, I think my ears are bleeding <laughs> from me singing yeah this is why Americans have to drive all their own cars one by one because the husbands can't stand the wives singing <laughs> life in your house must be so much fun <laughs> some days no no it's not <laughs>